Hi, this is Rusty Pang, and this is episode 12 of Perspective Shift. Today's episode is all about leadership. I was online on Facebook, and I'm in a group called Intuitive Awakening, which is a fantastic group if you love cognitive functions, personality hacker, MBTI, all of that fun stuff. We have some great discussions in that group. It's not mine. It's run by Personality Hacker. I do invite you to come join us there if you want to learn about yourself and dive deeper into your personality type. Great group there. Anyhow, the question was posed about leadership. What is what is your different take on leadership? And in the Myers-Briggs system, I'm an ENTJ, and I'm also in the Enneagram system as a 387. So if you know anything about those two systems, great. You know what that means, and you can go into the depth of it, but let me just sum it up. ENTJs are the leaders of leaders. We're the Machiavellian, like Napoleon, CEOs, want to be at the top at all times, controlling uh, everything. That's just how our, our brains are wired. We love to be at the top, and we don't mind taking the hits for being at the top. We're not afraid. We like to kick down doors, try new things. We're very results-oriented types of people. In the Enneagram system, a 387 basically means that I'm an achiever. I'm motivated by achieving, and I love success in all of its forms and how I define it. And when you combine those two things, it makes me a natural leader. And that's not gloating or anything like that. I've always been born this way. I'm a deep thinker. I like being at the top and, and moving parts and people and resources to accomplish a grand goal. So leadership, how does that play out for me if, if, if I'm a natural leader? Well, just because I'm a natural leader like at least seen that way and I like being at the top naturally, doesn't mean I'm good. It took a lot of years to actually work and refine my leadership style. And now at 35, I've developed a philosophy called servant leadership. So that's what this podcast is all about. It's about being a servant leader. And that philosophy is accessible to everyone. It doesn't matter what your personality type is. It doesn't matter what your experience. It doesn't matter whether you're male, female, old, or young. It doesn't even honestly matter if you're the top dog in the, in the organization. You can actually serve as a leader underneath someone, which is what I'm doing right now uh, for the team that I work in. So let me talk about this servant leadership and how that works. Servant leadership, whether you're a parent, you're a CEO, you run a team, or you serve in a team, is all about removing the obstacles of the people around you. The reason for that is you're putting others first. You're serving them. My philosophy of servant leadership means that I exist to help you do your job better. So if you have something that's hindering you, that's holding you back from doing your job well, I see it as my job, my responsibility to remove that obstacle. That obstacle could be education, training, resources. It could be distractions. It could be shifting your perspective like I'm doing right now because I'm serving this community, whoever's listening, by removing mental limitations and how you think because we have these narratives that run in our head that limit our ability to adapt to situations and look at things from a different perspective. That's what this entire podcast is about. So as I'm talking, I want you to think about times when you look to the needs of another individual on the team or in your family or wherever you were and you remove that obstacle. That person that you helped loved and adored you in that moment. They were really appreciative and grateful that you helped them, right? And they felt attached and loyal to you afterwards. If you keep doing that over time, you will build a relationship on that service where they will want to work with you more often and they will love working with you whether you're the leader or not officially by title. And so in the teams that I've run in the past, 
Um, by the way, like there isn't a team that has worked for me that hasn't complimented me on my style. And it's nothing new. It's not like I'm special in any way. It's just I've grasped this idea that I'm here for you and I put you first. And that's my entire job as a leader. So let me talk a little bit about the nuance of how this works and how's it, how it plays out practically uh, in the day-to-day -day experience. I'm in the Navy as a mass communications specialist. It basically means that in the Navy, we run all the journalism, videos, photography. Uh, we write stories, do graphics, create websites. We do a bunch of that stuff in public affairs for the Navy. We, we are trained to do all those tasks. So a couple of years ago, I was stationed aboard USS Abraham Lincoln, and I was made the video supervisor because I was trained as a broadcaster in, in addition to my initial training. And they put me in charge of a team. And that team, honestly, was toxic when I arrived. It was dysfunctional. There was a lot of bad blood from the previous deployment, a lot of hurt feelings and certain things that happened that I wasn't even around for, but it existed. And deployments for us can be stressful. It can be really stressful. So this is actually kind of normal, right? And as you come back from deployment, you decompress and you reestablish new norms and, and people can get over that sort of thing. But I was running a team, literally, where two people in that room could not be together for longer than a few minutes or they would fight. And there was also often a chance where I had to separate them because it could have gotten physical. It would, it would, emotions and tensions were high. And so if I was worried about the threat to the team or cared about myself and how I looked, I would have acted differently. But I don't care about myself, honestly. Like, I mean, I do, but not in the sense like I don't look to myself as the first thing that I need to take care of. When I'm leading a team, I think about the needs of my people. And I'm thinking about, okay, there needs to be peace here. So what I did was I erected walls, like outside leadership, anybody who had to talk to my team, even other teams who wanted to talk to my people had to come through me. I established this protective psychological safety wall around my team so that they could be insulated from everything else so I could manage what they were doing and ensure that they could work on their tasks without being interfered from, from people above me and around me. That gave them the space to breathe a little bit, not having to worry about being interfered with because they had to go through me if, if an outside influence wanted to enter the team. If there were requests or jobs that came in or somebody wanted to task my members with something, they had to come through me. And I would get pissed if, if somebody went around me. And I'd, I'd have a big old ruckus about it. Anyhow, that was one element, protecting my team, because they needed to be able to focus on what their job was. The second component was that I was humble in this sense. It's not about me. It's about my people first. If I take care of my people... And I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I can use them as experts. And the reality was I wasn't the smartest person in the room. There, there was a guy who was more experienced that didn't get the job and he was pissed because he didn't get the job. Then, and, and, and honestly, he was more senior than me. He had more experience. But I was older and I was better qualified and my leadership made a certain decision, I think, based on maturity because of the way that I approach things. And that's just how it was. That's how it worked out. So I'm in charge, and I've got a disgruntled guy who thinks he should have my job. I've got team members that would fight if they were in the room too long. I've got people who crushed it on deployment, but now they're burnt out right now. How do I get this team to be highly functioning, happy, and satisfied to work for me? Well, I positioned myself as a guide, the servant leader. I'm here to help you do your job. 
You tell me what resources you need. You tell me what's stopping you from doing your job, and I will go remove those things. Don't go outside of the team to solve it. Let me solve that. Your job is to make the videos. Your job is to do the editing. Your job is to go out and do the shoots and follow through on these tasks that we're assigned as a team that we need to accomplish. My job is to protect you and to empower you to do all the things that you need to do for that job. And that's how I set the tone. And I said, if you have an issue, this is also the humility element, bring it up to me. I don't have an ego so big that I can't take criticism. If you have a problem with the way that I'm doing something, bring it up. And if it's not illegal, immoral, or unsafe, we'll change it. Because I'm all for experimentation and learning from you guys on what works better. Also, the, the third component was, so outside of humility and viewing myself as a protector of the team, I also wanted to empower them to be self-sufficient. So it meant that if I did my job well, because here's, here's a sign of a good leader. If the leader's not present, does the team still function well? If the team can function well, despite the leader being physically present or not, you have a good leader. So when I would create teams, I always think about systems, repeatable, consistent systems. If we're going to build a video, we need to schedule the shoot, identify resources that we need. That includes a camera equipment, bodies, um, accessories, location. We had forms. It's going to this place, assigned to so-and-so. They're going to go fulfill it. Who's going to be the editor? Who's going to return it to me because I have to approve? Uh, there's an entire systematic process that was, would go on when we were creating videos. And it was consistent. And here's the thing. Once I established the system, I stopped micromanaging. I stopped getting involved in the day-to-day -day affairs. I empowered my people to do their job, and I told them literally, like I said before, if it's not illegal, it's not immoral, it's not unsafe, then go ahead and do it. Don't ask me. You can inform me. If you're, if you're concerned about it, if it's a good idea or not, you can come see me. But I want you to innovate. I want you to be creative. I want you to solve the problem without me hand-holding the whole process. Here's a good example of where this happened. I had a new guy that came to work. He transferred from one team to another. He came on my team. Wasn't a part of us when we first started, but things are already in place. And so I had to mentor him. I had to teach him. I had to sh uh, show him what the culture norm was. And I remember one time he came up to me and he, and he said, Rusty, I didn't use that. He used rank because we're in the Navy, but I'm just going to use my name. So he said, Rusty, I have this thing that I need to do. And I said, first question, did you ask the team? He's like, no. Okay, I said, that's a problem. You should ask your team. Okay, now, what's the problem? Well, I need to do this edit. I don't know how to do this specific effect. Can you, can you help me out? And I said, okay. In order to help you out, that means I have to say no to other things. Is this important enough for me to help you directly? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay, so then I walk over there, and I, I sit down, and he explains it to me, and I go, okay, so in order to do that, you need to do this, this, and this. And he didn't really understand. And I said, okay. Now, have you ever Google searched this? Have you tried to look into it? What resources have you looked into to solve this problem? And he said, nothing. He hasn't looked. He came straight to me. I said, okay, that's the problem. Here's the thing. I want you to be resourceful. That means you go to your team and you ask them first because you've got a team of people here that are really good at what they do. The second thing is if they don't have the answer, you need to go look yourself before you come to me. If it's a timely thing, like I have to get this out in five minutes, 
then you come see me if it's a if it actually has to be solved really soon then that's legit but if you have time to do this you should exhaust all your resources first before I become directly involved I will be a resource for you but you need to remove all these obstacles because I'm gonna ask you every time the same thing he said well I actually have to get this out for our boss in about 10 minutes I'm like okay well then move over he's like no, no no I just want you to tell me how to do it I said no you don't have time I have to explain and teach you I have to mention you but I don't have the time right now if you need to get this out in 10 minutes I need to do this because I've got other things I need to do on the plate that you don't even know about so I sat down and I said move over and I did it for him and I showed him and I said okay now you do your thing I gotta go I left 30 days later like a month later he asked me again he comes to me and says rusty I need help with this sort of thing I have another video blah 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 right and I run through the rigmarole again, the process. Okay, did you ask your team? Yes, but honestly, they're not here, and the one person that's part of the team, they're all out and shoots. The one person that's here doesn't know. Okay. Did you look into it? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. Now, is it important for me to, to do this right now? And he said, well, maybe. And I said, okay. Well, I've got other things, right? I've got all these other tasks. So you make a decision. Do you need me to come in and, and teach you or do it for you? What do you want? He said, well, I want you to teach me. And I said, okay, what is the problem? He explained it to me. And I was like, okay, this is going to take about 30 minutes. I don't have 30 minutes. So I have 10. Do you want me to do it for you or do you want to figure it out yourself? And he, he, he was hemming and hawing. And I said, okay, move over. And he stopped me. And as soon as I started to sit down in his chair, he stopped me and said, no, you always do this. I hate it when you do this. Now, I don't always do this, but I set a tone in the very beginning, which was if you're going to have me come and, and be involved directly to do your job, it's not going to be fun for any of us. So he knows now that if if I get involved, I'm taking over. He, he wants autonomy and I want to give it to him. But if you're going to cop out and come to me for every little thing, then I'm going to do it for you. And so he doesn't like that. So he stopped me. I backed off and I said, do you think you could figure it out yourself? And he said, yes. And so he went and did it himself. And I came back an hour later and it was done. And it was beautiful. But it boiled down to me removing his obstacle. And that obstacle was his mental limitation about whether or not he could accomplish it himself. And here's what I found. A lot of people in this world are very capable. They're much more capable than they often think they are. It just takes people like us who are servant leaders to come alongside as, as a support and say, hey, I believe you can do this. I absolutely believe you can do this and empower them and get them to believe that and teach them how to be resourceful so they can. And so as a servant leader, you've got to be humble. You've got to look at your people and give them priority, removing their obstacles first. And, and, and also, you have to have a certain sense of humility to know that it, your job is not to do their job. That's why they're there. That's why they're hired. That's why they're in that position. They do their job. You don't do their job. You empower them so they can do it well. And that's what servant leadership is all about. And it has nothing to do with a personality type. It has nothing to do with experience. It has nothing to it's more of an attitude. It's a philosophy. And to prove my point, I alluded to this aspect that right now I'm practicing it, even though I'm not the one in charge of the team that I work in right now. I have a, a, a woman that I work with. She's an ISFJ in the Myers-Briggs system. She's a wonderful person. And uh, she's an, an ISFJ's struggle with leadership because they, they, they love getting tasks and that's specific and being delegated to. They have a very difficult time delegating to others and allowing others to do it 
for them. And so one of the things that, you know, I've been working with her for a while and I mentor her occasionally. We'll talk about her leadership on the side. I work for her, keep in mind, but we'll have conversations and I'll talk about, uh, you know, how are things going? How do you feel as a leader? We even went through this model where she established that she's a com comfortable, confident mentor and that changed her whole dynamic and she's been rocking it. She's been doing really well and occasionally she will go to do, you know, I need to do this task and this task and I stop her. I said, no, you don't. You're the leader. You're the team lead. You should delegate that. And she's all, you're right. You're right. I, I should do that. In fact, I'm the one you should delegate to. So give me that task. And there's a little reluctance at first, but she knows that's what's right. And the more that she delegates, the more that she empowers me to do my job better, the better she feels about it, the more trust that she has with her team and the team in her. And we do trust her because she's a good woman and she works hard and, and she's really good at what she does. So let me just say, as somebody who's working for another person, I'm still practicing servant leadership. So it doesn't matter where you come from, what position you hold, what your experience is. Servant leadership is the way. It requires humility. It requires you deference, putting others before yourself, and you must delegate the job. Remove those obstacles from your people and allow them to do their jobs well. So my question, my empowering question for you, is how does servant leadership challenge your viewpoint, your perspective of leading people and your teams? How can you start practicing servant leadership in your family, with your friends, at work, in whatever walk of life you're in? How can you start practicing that today?